Hello again. Yes, my name is Laura Hooper, and I currently work as a home health aide. A uh, little bit of my story, I'd say about 2014, I um, was interested in volunteering in some capacity. And I went to a website that matched one's interests and skills up with various agencies looking for volunteers. And I came across a hospice and home health service. And they were in need of music volunteers. And... They were needing people to come in to nursing homes, um, residencies, assisted living facilities, things of that sort, um, to do music therapy, art therapy, pet therapy, etc. So that was kind of my introduction into elder care going into these facilities, seeing what they were like, and um, although some were quite good, there just seemed to be a real issue with understaffing um, people that never got visitors, people who were terminally ill, had these incurable diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and it just seemed like the best possible solution all these decades after well for instance Alzheimer's disease the best possible solution that we could come up with was to essentially dare I say, quarantine people who suffered from this disease. There's no real cure, no real treatment, honestly. Um, there's been some incredible research with uh, the effectiveness of, for instance, music therapy. It seems to work quite well with um, Alzheimer's and dementia patients. But, uh, just, there just haven't been any real major breakthroughs as far as what to be done about some of these neurological diseases, and, and they're just massively common. I read a statistic that said that one out of nine people will develop some neurological disease, be it Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, what have you. And, uh, for so many people falling ill to this, this disease and to not really have any real cures on the horizon or really anything to do about it other than to put people in, in dementia care units, um, just seemed very tragic to me. And it wasn't something that I'd had given any real thought to until I started um, 
volunteering to uh, serve in these facilities. But knowing that um, art and music therapy could be quite impactful for people with Alzheimer's and dementia, I decided to become a uh, activities assistant at one of the corporate-owned Alzheimer's units in the city I live in. And uh, I was there for a few months, and it wasn't a particularly pleasant experience. These facilities, again, drastically shorthanded, very high turnover. Um, the staff's really in over their heads at a lot of these places, and quite honestly, the families aren't told about everything that goes on in a lot of these places. There were people that were assaulted, not really by staff, but more by other residents in an effort to not restrain people, which, again, their intentions were good, but you do have people in some of these more advanced stages of Alzheimer's in particular who can be quite violent. And when you don't use restraints, when you don't have enough people to look after all these individuals, inevitably people get hurt, they get assaulted, and there's really not a whole lot of recourse. Um, so, one other uh, unfortunate matter to, to note is that because these places are corporate owned, there's no real accountability. The owners never see these facilities. You know, many of them are five states away in a skyscraper somewhere. And so there's really no one to truly be held accountable. Um, and uh, witnessing all this, knowing about the statistics, knowing about the what's been dubbed the silver tsunami, which is when all the baby boomers begin to age out and wind up in elder care facilities. Uh, the tremendous strain on resources, which are already lacking, what that's going to do in the decades to come. So, around this time, I decided to complete my bachelor's, and the thesis was on the future of elder care, particularly what it was going to look like in the year 2050, which that year I'll be 68, so... Whatever's going on in that year will impact me directly. And, of course, it is hard to say at this time what the world's going to be like. But uh, my hope is that we can begin to move away from these the sort of the institutionalization of the elder care. If we can start to decentralize these sort of monolithic um, entities and 
um, organize the resources in such a way that they can become more personalized and, and effective. That's the hope. Um, of course, there are a lot of countries currently who are already experiencing the problems that we'll soon be experiencing. Uh, China's one example. Uh, they've actually resorted to um, using robots. They dubbed them CareBots, um, designed specifically to take care of invalid and, and elderly patients. Um, I would hope that here in the United States that we wouldn't have to resort to such things, but there's no telling at this point in time. Um, so again, getting back to my story, I graduated with a bachelor's in administration, and around the same time, my grandparents, who'd been experiencing a fair bit of medical complications, um, they had been using a home health service, but their conditions were worsening, and some of the family was talking about moving them them into a facility and based on what I'd witnessed things I'd experienced working in these facilities I just could not conceive of such a knee-jerk reaction I understand in some cases it's a last resort a lot of families don't have very many options and that I could understand, but I felt as though, you know, my grandparents, they had six children and have several grandchildren, great-grandchildren, children, many of whom live quite near to them. And it just did not seem right that these two people who raised six kids, that those six kids who are now all adults couldn't turn around and take care of these two people. Um, so, shortly after I had graduated from college, I decided that I was going to go work for the home health agency that they'd been using. And that summer I got my CNA certification and became a CNA and a home health aide and um, decided to put any career aspirations on hold I thought I'll, I'll be the full-time caregiver for my grandparents and as a result they did not have to suffer the indignities of a nursing home um, my grandmother passed in April of this year and um, one of my aunts who had also been helping take care of my grandparents um, I recall sitting next to her at the hospital we were waiting for transport for, uh, for them to take my grandmother's body to the morgue 
And as we sat in the room waiting for transport, I turned to my aunt and said, you know, I'm so glad that we never had to put grandma in a nursing home. And this all kind of bleeds to, okay, so what can be done? How can we as a society avoid a, God forbid, a quarantine situation similar to what happened with the state hospitals in the 50s and 60s where you had all these people, be they elderly, mentally ill, whatever the case may have been, you know, being put in these facilities where uh, the staff was drastically scarce, resources were scarce, many people weren't being fed or bathed, again, worst case scenario, but um, if such an influx happens too quickly, it's not that inconceivable that something like that could happen again. And one thought, there's a, for lack of a better word, organization that started in the Boston area. I believe they're called Beacon Hill Village. And it's essentially a, a community of seniors. They pay into this membership. They can stay in their home. Everybody looks out for each other. Whatever needs need to be met, the resources come to them. They don't have to go to a facility to access these resources. And this idea has been springing up in communities all over the country. I think that marks the beginning stages of this, this change, this shift, uh, a beginning of the decentralization of um, institutionalized elder care. Ideas like these, I, I think they're going to go on to um, be a dignified alternative to the aging. One side note, um, I did in this past year volunteer as a, an ombudsman, which in many ways is a great program. Um, one dilemma I ran into being an, an ombudsman, unfortunately, is although they do an excellent job advocating for the residents in these in these facilities they put a lot of strain on the administrators in these um, nursing homes and assisted living centers um, which in, in some cases is necessary, but again, it goes back to this original dilemma that the owners are not being held accountable. It's all operated within the state. And then, mind you, the advocacy programs, because they're state-ran, uh, 
have been undergoing budget cuts, even though they've been barking for this demand of more people to become ombudsmen and more people to advocate, but yet they can't afford to pay these individuals. Um, and also you, you run into that scenario of doing a lot of finger waving, but no real progress being made because you can have some extraordinarily talented, caring individuals working in these facilities. And if they're not adequately staffed, these people are going to be stretched thin. They're going to leave. And it creates a revolving door scenario. And again, the, the owners, the corporations, they're driving a lot of this turnover because it's all about how much money winds up in their pockets. Uh, many of these facilities are guilty of cheating on the books. They claim to be adequately staffed. They'll say, well, we have two employees per hall, when in reality they have one employee manning two halls. And um, so one can see where um, this is creating so many awful problems for everyone involved. People that mean well, they want to do a good job, but no one's really being called out. No one's really going to the source of the problem. And I would hope in the future that programs like Beacon Hill Village um, and even quite honestly the home health agencies uh, do a tremendous job at keeping people in their homes so they can maintain their dignity and have been a great service to many people in need. So, on that note, thank you for listening. It's going to be pretty raw in the beginning, but hopefully they'll, these episodes will become more polished in the future. So until then, farewell.